You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, what's up? My name is Sean Seguin. I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge Community Church. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, whether it is Sunday morning and you're watching with us as this is going live on Facebook or or you're taking advantage of YouTube doing it early in the morning Sunday or maybe, maybe this is later on in the week because you just could not do it. Uh, thank you for joining us, especially if this is your first time, uh, you know, or if you've just never filled out a connection card before, would you go ahead and do that now? You can find a connection card and link in the description of the video. Um, go ahead and fill that out. And, uh, and if, if you have information that's changed, please do that as well. We just want to be able to stay connected with everybody, uh, in a time that is, uh, feels very disconnected. And so, uh, yeah, please go ahead and do that. We're, we're diving into this, this new sermon series now, uh, focusing on Lent. It's called, uh, Lent Reflections and Preparation. Lent Reflections and Preparation. And the season of Lent just began on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, uh, and, uh, and it will continue until, uh, Easter, which is Resurrection Day where we celebrate uh, celebrate the resurrection. So this whole season is going to be, we're going to be focusing on, on some more difficult things, thinking about, uh, death, mortality, the reality of sin, the bro and brokenness in this world. So we're going to be diving into that, starting us off, uh, today with that. Uh, but before we dive in all the way, let's go ahead and just pray. And then, and then I'll kick us off. God, thank you so much for your grace and your love that overflows the that uh, abounds, that changes our hearts. God, I pray that today we would recognize uh, how great of a divide sin has caused and we would recognize how much greater your grace and your love is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, many of you, I'm sure most of you has, have watched the movie uh, Lion King. It's a great film. Uh, and uh, there's this there's this quote in it where Mufasa, the the father, the king lion, you know, uh, is talking to his younger son Simba, talking about the circle of life. Many of you probably remember this, but there's there's this quote, and I want to I want to share it with you. Mufasa says to his son, he says, "Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. As king, you need to understand that balance and respect all the creatures, from the crawling ant to the leaping antelope." Young Simba says, "But Dad, don't we eat the antelope?" And Mufasa re replies, yes, Simba, but let me explain. When we die, our bodies become grass and the antelope eat the grass. And so we are all connected to in the uh, great circle of life. And this is, this is that moment where we realize that interconnectedness of life. It makes uh, death seem more palatable. But the reality is that no matter how palatable it may seem, this perspective of death still hurts. It still leaves us in pain. Why is it that, that this, this sounds good enough? This sounds like a good enough answer as, as, as uh, about how life works, that death is just this natural process. Why, if, if death is such a natural part of life, why is it so hard to deal with when we're faced with it face to face? Why is it so painful? I'll say this, even as a Christian, even, even as a person who believes that one day we will be with God and, and that, that death is not the end of all things, why is it so hard? Why is it so painful? 
when we deal with death, when we're faced with death. In fact, even Jesus, when his friend Lazarus dies, even Jesus uh, weeps when his friend dies. And, and he knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he still weeps. Death is hard no matter what we know about the end. And then even, of course, Jesus' own death, which he knows is going to end in resurrection. Even that, he's sweating drops of blood. He's struggling to deal with this reality that he's about to, he's about to undergo death, experience death in its fullest and sin being piled upon himself. He's about to experience something so horrific. And so even though he knows the end result, that the way there is, is not something to, to be excited about. It seems so unnatural, regardless of what Mufasa might say about us becoming fertilizer and feeding the animals and all that, regardless of how connected we may all feel, the reality is that death feels wrong. It feels unnatural. And I believe that it's, it, it feels this way because it's not part of the way that God intended things to be. In fact, the script, scriptures teach us that death is a result of sin. It's not a part of what God initially intended. It's, it's a result of sin. And today we're going to be looking at, at three things. We're going to be looking at the power of death, the weakness of death, and the death of death. The power of death, the weakness of death, and the death of death. These are, these are my points today. So the power of death, weakness of death, and the death of death. And as we dive into them, um, we're going to have that, a greater grasp, I believe, of, of, of how this whole thing works, of why we experience this, this great uh, mourning, why people still have this like brokenness over death. I think we're going to experience it a little bit more. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and dive in in Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. We're going to start off in 12 through 14. Romans 5, 12 through 14, the power of death. The power of death. Romans 5, 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin entered the world uh, through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. Here we get a, a glimpse of Paul's worldview. We get to see what he thinks of when he thinks of sin. Now, now oftentimes when we think of sin, we, we may think of it as an individual action. You know, when I think about the fact that I have sinned, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. These things are present in Paul's theology. But he has this, this bigger picture of sin as this power or this force. And you see this over and over and over. I'm going to give you just a few pieces of it in, Rev, in, in Romans, in the book of Romans. In Romans 3, 9, uh, Jews and, and Greeks are under sin. To be under sin, it shows it's a type of power. Romans 6, we're all slaves of sin. Romans 7, we, we see the power of sin at work in people's lives. Not people working out sin, but, but sin working in people's lives. And then um, Romans 8, 3, sin is condemned. There's some kind of condemnation on this, this, this power. And so even though Paul does understand sin as an individual act, Many times we think of it as anything you say, think, or do uh, that goes against the will of God. Sin is anything you say, think, or do that goes against the will of God. But 
in this situation, Paul is, is, and, and broadly speaking, Paul thinks of sin as a power, a power that is working against the will of God. I think that's a better way to think of it as an active force uh, working against the will of God. Oftentimes, that's how Paul is speaking. Most of the time, that's how Paul is thinking about it. So we get this worldview uh, of sin that has a type of power. And here we see that it was Adam who brought sin into the world. And in bringing sin into the world, Adam brings death into the world. And this is where sin's power lies, is in death. And we should view God's power and his command as, as this like life-giving force. So when, when God, hold, God holds all things together by his word, he, he creates all things by his word. His word brings life and goodness. But when Adam disobeys, there's this disordering, uh, this disobedience of the command. These, these uh, creatures with their will disobeying the, the will of God, all of a sudden there's this break in the life-ordering command of God, this this life-giving uh, and order-creating command of God. All of a sudden there's this break and chaos is invited in. Where there once was order, all of a sudden there's chaos. This is what sin does. Sin goes from from order to chaos, from life to death. God's creating command goes from uh, from nothingness, from chaos to order, from from death to life. That's the way God works, and sin works the opposite way. There's this sense that when Adam sinned, he brought this chaos into this world. He tore apart, tore something apart in this reality where God's command is holding all things together. Adam is given this kind of like authority uh, uh, to rule and he uses that authority to disobey God. And from that on, that point on, we become uh, the incapable of, of not sinning. Everybody begins to sin. In verses 13 through 14, uh, we see that even before the law was holding people accountable, sin was alive and active and death was reigning even through those, even though those sins weren't being charged against individuals. So, uh, the power of death exists with or without the law, and it reigns over all. Sin brings death, and death begins to reign in this world. Chaos and disorder come because of sin, and death begins to reign. There's no escaping it. Rich or poor, uh, powerful or powerless, death comes to all. This isn't what God desired. This wasn't God's plan. This is what wasn't what God wanted to see happen. But it's the reality that we all face because all of us have sinned. This this crazy force that's actively working against the will of God. Uh, it, it it we all participate in that same force. We all actively disobey God ourselves. We all actively tear apart that ordering, creative command of God. We all participate in that brokenness and we invite death into our lives. And it's interesting, uh, Paul clarifies that even uh, over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam, it reigned. Even though they didn't sin the way that, that Adam did. You know, even even though they didn't sin the way that Adam did, death still reigned in them. 
It doesn't matter what kind of sin you commit. It, it doesn't matter if it's uh, if it's simply uh, a little white lie or 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 it's something as as horrible uh, you know as you can imagine. Death brings disorder and brings chaos, or sin brings disorder and chaos, and death begins to reign in those areas of this world. And it was all started by by Adam opening that doorway, disobeying God, uh, and and ultimately bringing chaos into this world. Um, it, It makes me think of the 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 old movie Jumanji, not the new Jumanji. Um. I like both of them, actually, but the the older, the 90s version with Robin Williams. In this movie, uh, these kids find this game, uh, and when they go to roll the dice, they're they're locked into the game. They they can't help it. They have to finish the game. And so uh, they roll the dice, and whatever happens, uh, ultimately, uh, they they are, if they all of a sudden face, you know, uh, these like wild animals or a crazy, you know, deranged hunter who wants to kill everybody, or if they face, uh, you know, poisonous, uh, human eating plants, all of those things, if they, if they're faced with that in the game, all of those things come out of the game and, and come after them. And so by rolling the dice, they, they enter into this place, they open up chaos into their own reality. But it doesn't only enter into their own reality, that chaos begins to spread to the entire town. Chaos and disorder, it, it spreads to all of this, this little town. And what's crazy is you have, have you have, as you have these like rhinoceri, is that the, is that the proper plural? Uh, you have, have them running through, elephants running through this town, charging and, you know, destroying cars. You have, uh, what happens is this chaos causes people uh, to obviously react in a very, uh, good way by running as you know to get away from all this but in their running and in the crowds running and all the rushing more people are able to get hurt in fact more chaos is created there's this kind of like uh starting with these children rolling the dice all of a sudden the stuff coming out harming them but then it harm you know like putting other people in danger and then all of the people reacting to this chaos causing more chaos it's much like what happens with Adam. Adam enters into this, opens up this reality of sin and death by sinning, by disobeying the command of God. And what happens is that chaos begets more chaos, begets more chaos, and it trickles on down to all of us. Death begins to reign from Adam to Moses. That's what we see happen. And and as as difficult as it is to accept, we continue that chaos. As we ourselves all attempt to escape the chaos, man, like the things that we do to protect self, we, we're willing to harm others. We're willing to create us versus them rea- like realities that become these sinful systems that harm other people. We do harmful things because of our own fears of being harmed. When chaos entered this world, death reigned and it continued to reign and it continued to bring uh, more chaos and violence begets violence, sin begets more sin. And it seems like it's never going to end. And you see the darkness of death, the depths of despair. You see this brokenness in our world. And it's easy to look around and say, is there any escaping it? Is there any way to escape this? But we have good news here at the end of verse 14. 
says that Adam is the is a type of the coming one. So this is a reference to Jesus. He's a type. He's one who he's kind of a a picture of one who will come who if this one does this, this one is going to do something similar but maybe but we'll see that it is a reversal. So so far we've seen this picture of the power of death, really the power of sin and death. But now we're going to begin to look at the weakness of death. The weakness of death. Verses 15 through 17. But if the gift is not like the trespass, for if by one man's trespass many the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. If by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? I love that this phrase the gift is not like the trespass. When we see the power of death, it can feel overwhelming. The power of death has overwhelmed many of us. If you have not experienced the death of a loved one, it is it is like a weight on your chest that can't be lifted. I've, I've heard so many people describe it this way. It's like this weight that you put on every day for the rest of your life. It doesn't go away. You learn how to uh, to deal with it, but it doesn't go away. Death it is this heavy, heavy burden, this heavy, heavy weight. The power of death can feel overwhelming, but as powerful as death is, life is so much more powerful. As powerful as sin is, grace is so much stronger. Hmm. If we just look at, at sin and death, we can begin to uh, become depressed and overwhelmed, begin to worry because of how big it feels. Are sin and death the most powerful forces there are? That's a good question many of us uh, have probably uh, felt maybe you haven't directly asked it, but man, they feel so powerful. Is death the most powerful force? Reminds me of actually my favorite, uh, one of my favorite children's books. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with death, but this idea of this asking this question is it is it the biggest? Is it the most powerful? There's a there's a book called uh, Is a Blue Whale the Biggest Thing? Is a Blue Whale the Biggest Thing? Um, and uh, I love, I love this book because what it does is it gives you like this perspective. So when you look at a blue whale, you know, like, yeah, it's the biggest animal there is, right? Is a blue whale the biggest thing there is? Well, uh, when you look at a blue whale, it's terrifyingly huge. And in fact, the book explains that, a, that a blue whale is like 33 elephants big. That's how big the blue whale is. 33 elephants. If you can imagine, that's how big a blue whale is to give you perspective, right? And you could look at that whale and you could think, this is overwhelming, it's terrifying, this thing could crush me, you know. You could, you could look at that and be overwhelmed by it. But when you begin to compare it to other things, you begin to realize how small that thing actually is. 
Um, in the book, it, it then compares the blue whale to Mount Everest, um, and it says that uh, it says that it, the, that Mount Everest could hold hundreds of millions of blue whales in it. Hundreds of millions of blue whales could fit inside of Mount Everest. So blue whale is not the biggest thing there is. But then it goes even further. If you stacked, uh, if you uh, how many? It said if you stacked a hundred Mount Everests um, on top of each other, a um, hundred Mount Everests would would look like uh, just a little hair hanging off the edge of the Earth compared to how big the Earth is. A tiny little hair, a little strand hanging off the edge of Earth. That's how big the Earth is. And then it comes here, it compares the Earth to the sun. <laughs> and one million Earths would fit inside of our sun. And then it goes even further how big uh, our sun is compared to other stars. The supergiant star, uh, you could fit 50 million of our suns in one supergiant star. And then you compare uh, how many supergiant stars are in one galaxy. And then how many galaxies, billions of galaxies there are within our universe. And you begin to realize how small a blue whale is compared to these ridiculously huge things and unimaginably large things. My point here is that when we look at the power of death, it's easy to feel how big it is, to feel that weight upon us, to feel like it's the most powerful thing that exists. When, when you're faced with it, it's easy to, to focus in on it and feel that weight. But when you compare it to the life-giving power of Jesus Christ, the gift that he offers, when you compare it to what he offers, it doesn't hold a candle to what Jesus can do. The power of eternal life is so much bigger than death. It swallows death up. And when you're faced with the brokenness of this world, let the pain you feel be uh, a reminder that, that that things are not as they ought to be. And not only that, but the things that feel off are, are, they pale in comparison to how great the goodness is that is coming. Let that, and that dissonance, that let, let that be outweighed by God's grace and life, that brokenness that you feel, let it be outweighed when you look at the, the, just infinity of God's grace and of God's life. And this is why he says, for if, if by the one man's trespass many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. In verse 16, uh, he mentions our justification. He gives, he's giving us this evidence of hope we have beyond death. He's giving us this evidence of how small death really is. Now that you have been saved, now that you've been justified, that you've been changed inwardly, you can have a confidence in you that death is not as powerful as it seems. If you've received spiritual life, you can, you can be assured that physical death is not the end. When we look at Christ's resurrection, we see that same thing. We see the hope for our own future. Not some disembodied state, right? Um, I think sometimes when we think of heaven, we think of some disembodied state, no material, a non-material world. But I want, I want you to know that, that we're not looking forward to some non-material world. Death doesn't win. If death wins, then yeah, there's no material world. It destroys everything. But death doesn't win. 
No, we have, we have hope for a resurrection. Material bodies, material world actually coming into, like, to, to being, to be fully restored and renewed and redeemed. Death does not win. We're not going to some immaterial place. We get to, we get to enjoy God forever, united here on, on this, on earth, a, a recreated new earth, but on earth, physical bodies in a physical world. They may be like transformed. I don't, we have no clue and under, we don't understand what it's going to be like exactly. But what we do know is that death doesn't win. It doesn't destroy everything. We are resurrected with a bot, with bodies. God doesn't want to just do away with material. He wants to rescue and, and revive it all. Let me just reread verse 17. Um, I want you to see the, the power reigning in us as well. Because when you begin to realize that if you've been saved, you have this power dwelling in you. It's hope for that future. And he says, if by the one man's trespass, 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 Death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life uh, in in life through the one man Jesus Christ? That that rulership that Adam had, reigning on this earth, that, that what he had, we are given that opportunity through the death of Christ, through his resurrection. He gives us resurrection power in life. He gives us that, that ability to walk in that newness of life. It reminds us of how weak death is because even though death still comes to all of us, death is passing away. And that's where we're going to the next part. So we've seen power of the power of death. death. We've seen the weakness of death. But now we're going to turn to the death of death. The death of death. Verses 18 through 21. Paul says this. So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So also through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along uh, to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This passage uh, continues this discussion of the weakness of death by showing the power of God's grace. Uh, the point that Paul is making here is that death's reign uh, will come to an end when the grace reigns through Christ's uh, righteousness and results in eternal life. Where there is eternal life, Death does not exist. Let me say that again. Where there is eternal life, death does not exist. Death loses all its power when we receive the gift of eternal life. Death loses all its power when we receive the gift of eternal life. We, uh, when we recognize this, it changes everything. This is, this is why in, in the early church, um, in, for the first few centuries, when they were being persecuted and killed for their faith, this is why we have these, these great martyrs who gave their life, these men and women who gave their lives for Jesus, recorded um, as being proud to die for Jesus. Uh, one, one quote I have is, is from, uh, from Ignatius of Antioch. Um, he's writing 
to the Romans as he's going to Rome to be eaten and torn apart by wild beasts. This is around 110 AD. Um, and he writes this as, he, like, as I said, as he's going to be torn apart for his faith. And this is what he writes. He says, may I enjoy the wild beasts that are prepared for me. I pray that they would be found eager to rush at me. And I will also entice them to devour me speedily and not deal with me as some whom out of fear they have not touched. If they are unwilling to assail me, I will compel them to do so. Pardon me. I know what is, uh, what is to my benefit. Now I begin to be a disciple. Let no one of things visible or invisible prevent me from attaining to Jesus Christ. Let fire and the cross, let wild beasts, let tearings, breakings and dislocation of bones, let cutting off of limbs, let shatterings of the whole body and let all the evil torments of the devil come upon me. Only let me attain to Jesus Christ. This guy, Ignatius, sounds like he's just got a death wish. Like he may, maybe he's like suicidal, maybe he's crazy, maybe he likes pain a little too much, but that's not it. This is a man who understands eternal life. He understands the power of life and the death of death. Death holds no power over this man. Death can no longer make him recant his faith. Death can no longer make him change his mind about anything. It holds no power over him. Now, so where there is eternal life, death loses all its power. While Paul doesn't say it directly here, uh, a few chapters later, he says that sin, which gives death its power, is condemned in the flesh of Jesus. So that power that we're talking about is condemned in the flesh of Jesus, loses its power, the, the power of death. In 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty six, Paul says uh, that the final enemy to be defeated is, will be death. Uh, while death has reigned since Adam in Christ, grace uh, reigns through the righteousness and the result is, is in, in eternal life. In Revelation twenty fourteen, death is thrown into the lake of fire and experiences the second death. Death experiences death, the death of death. Friends, we have this, this hope. This, this, this hope in eternal life that we've already been given, that we can taste and see now within us, that we can feel the, the, the reality of to some extent, to, small, to a small extent now. And when we, when we taste death, when we see death, when we see the power of it, it, it is, can be overwhelming. But we have to remember that the end result is that death will die. Death will be no more. Its power is taken away at the cross. And though we may taste the unnatural sting of death for a while, one day, all of it will cease. So as we face our mortality, as we fast and pray during the season, as we grieve over the loss of loved ones, let us remember the de uh, that death is not the end and that death itself will come to an end. Let those tears of pain not destroy us, but remind us that things are not as they ought to be and that all things will be made right. Let our pain point us to a future reality where sin is no more and death is swallowed up. I'd like to encourage you uh, that no matter what uh, Mufasa might say, death is not natural. It's, it's not natural. We were never intended to be fertilizer. 
God desired to give us all eternal life. But as we see, because of our sins, death has power. Yet it pales in comparison to the power found in the grace and love and the life of God, and it will come to an end. This week, as we enter into a time that the church has historically begun to ponder uh, the severity of sin the, uh, the, and, and death, uh, as we prepare our hearts for com- contemplating Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, I hope that we would be mindful of our own brokenness, of the ways that we've participated in bringing chaos into this world, of the ways that we've participated in inviting death and the power of death to reign in this place. That we would be mindful of these things, but that also as we get closer and closer and closer to the, to the resurrection, to Easter Sunday, to the cross and the, and the, the cross and the resurrection, that we would be reminded that as big as this this uh, blue well called death may feel, God is so much bigger. He's so much greater. And in his life that he offers to us is eternal. And I hope that we would all uh, participate in this, this time of Lent, whether you fast or not, uh, spend extra time in prayer be willing to mourn over sin, uh, mourn with those who mourn, but even thinking about our own brokenness and the own, our own ways we participated in the brokenness of this world. Let us mourn over those things. Take some time to reflect on the brokenness in this world. Man, these these things that the church has historically done, this church calendar where we, we go through seasons like the Christmas season and, and Easter season and, and Lent. And as we look at these different times of the year, let, let these yearly rhythms uh, remind us of the gospel and the good news that, that, that Jesus didn't leave us in that place of death and brokenness, but he, he revives us to life. He gives us eternal life. So my only application this week is that we take time to contemplate uh, the reality of sin and death. Take time to contemplate the reality of sin and death. Don't be overwhelmed by the power it has, um, but recognize how powerful it is. And then let that remind you of how small it is in comparison to how great God's love and grace and life are. The, the, The grace and love that we find in Christ's resurrection Christ triumphed over death, and in his resurrection, we have power over death as well. So as you look around, as you think about all of the brokenness, um, as you may experience fear over these things, don't let it overwhelm you. Yes, uh, death is not is something to mourn. Death is not a, a thing that we should just ignore. It really does exist. It really does uh bring more disorder and chaos into this world, but thank God it's coming to an end. Thank God it's power is not infinite. Uh, it's temporary and God's power is so much greater. I'm going to go ahead and pray and close out and then we will uh, have a time of worship and come back and I'll give the benediction. God, thank you for your power, for your life, that you give that is so much greater than death. That death really is swallowed up in the love and life that you have to offer. 
God, I pray that we would be people who do not allow death to define us or cause fear or trembling, but that we can look at it and, and know because of the change that's going on inside of us, God, that it's not the end, that there's something so much more. God, I pray during this season of Lent that we would recognize our own mortality, our own brokenness, our own ways we've participated in sin and chaos and brought disorder into this world, but we would be reminded even more and more and more of your grace. Thank you, God, for eternal life, for your grace, for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Love you. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 